Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. The Philosophy Podcast is brought to you by JM3 Sports. Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 video assessment tool. But, uh, everybody, welcome to the Philosophy Podcast. Today, we're lucky enough to have Mark Burnham, a.k.a. Red Burnham. He's the head coach at IMG Academy. He's also the head coach of the Iroquois Nationals, preparing to uh, go and compete for a, a world championship. Red, um, it's just so awesome to have you on board the podcast. How's everything going? Good, good. Glad to be here, man. That's awesome. Uh, just, just down in sunny Florida. We're, we're out about two weeks away from going to Israel. Hopefully have a decent team to bring there. We're, we're looking forward to being there and uh, excited to uh, show what we got. Love it. Now, um, before we get into a couple things, I just want people – there's going to be listeners in here that, that know you very well. There's going to be some that don't. Um, I want to set the tone right away. How many rings have you won? I've seen the picture. But I can't remember <laughs> if it's 13 or 15 or what. It's, it's actually 14. 14 rings. Yeah, and then the one, one the, the high school. The high school one, you didn't get a ring back when I played. Uh, they had electricity just starting then, so they were. Uh, <laughs> they went. They went with a medallion for the New York we're State. We're talking New York High School State Championship. Yep. When there was only one state championship, I got to add. Now back in the day, there wasn't A, B, C, D class and all that. I mean, it was you know like it is now. I mean, obviously the sport's grown a ton. So who'd you play for? Played for Hanniger High School. And, and uh, who'd you beat? Who'd you beat? Uh, Yorktown, which uh, many of my teammates come from there, Timmy Nelson and the Nelson boys and a few of other guys. And now you see Calaruso, who's a goalie, and we played against that group. His father played. And, you know, there was Timmy Sure was on that team and Tommy Nelson. I mean, there were some stud players back in that team. And, uh, you know, at the time, we had only had lacrosse at my high school five years. So within five years, that athletic group went from ninth grade to their senior year. And, uh, Within five years, they're winning the state championship, which is like kind of Cinderella's story. But it was literally probably the most athletic athletes that I ever played on in any team to this day. All right, so you won a New York State high school championship. Uh, You went on to Syracuse, win the 1982 NBA national championship. 83. 83 And then 84, we lost in the finals. And then in the Hopkins, 85, we lost again. Uh, You know, there was – could have had a couple rings there, and uh, you know, to lose your senior year and be undefeated and be number one in the country. That was just, at that time. That's when Hopkins was really, you know, on yeah. that, on that real big rush. And uh, yeah, Syracuse wasn't even mentioned in, in those uh, championship days back then. It was just basically, you know, Hopkins, North Carolina, Virginia. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, in '83, we just got to talk about the fact that, if I recall, you guys were down 12 to five in the third quarter and came back and won that game. And your uh, Yorktown t- uh, former uh, uh, competitor and, and, and at the time teammate Timmy Nelson had a big day, and Brad Cotts had five second half goals or something. He did. He did. And, and and just for you guys now to know, Brad Cotts and myself were both faceoff guys, but we played. We were two way middies. 
a guy that you know he he played he played on first midfield. Brad Cotts, probably one of the best shooters around. With basically a girl stick, could shoot both hands. I mean, if you've seen the thing, there was absolutely no pocket in the thing. He was he was an amazing shooter. He was very deceivingly fast, and he faced off and did really well. And uh, you know, was MVP. What you'll I'll I'll bet you a million dollars. You show me a faceoff guy in a national championship that scores five goals. It's unheard of now. Yeah. Unbelievable. Okay, so now you also won a Minto Cup championship, which is the Junior A National Championship in Canada. Probably, is that not the most coveted championship uh, that there is? Yeah, it is. It, I, I absolutely think it is. Uh, uh, that or, you know, your, your Senior A championship, which, you know, was Man, basically but- the pros back in the day before the, the pros happened, you know. I, and then, you know, playing in the Middle League, I, uh, MLL championship, we won a couple of those with uh, – Buffalo and then went on to Rochester and played another one. And, uh, you know, it just – I was fortunate enough to play on very, very good teams and some really, really great lacrosse players. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny that I think about it now, and we talked about this before, Jamie, you know, at uh, 3D a few times there. And uh, we, we – you were like, how many rings do you have? And I, and I just – like, I don't really wear them. And my wife laughs. You fingers. It's <laughs> – <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I'm sure there's a, a guy out there, a, a couple of guys out there that has more, or, or, but I don't know about – the only one I haven't won that I know of is uh, an indoor box international championship. We lost to uh, Canada twice in those, and played. In, I played in that. And uh, the obviously the world championships. I, I, I finally got a medal in the world championships as a, as a coach uh, in 14, and I'd never medaled, and, you know – that was one to me to this day. I'll, I'll never win as a player, but you know, hopefully someday maybe I get it as a coach, you know, uh, being that silver gold. How many man cup championships did you win? Two. How many Mintos? Uh, uh, two. Two. And how many presidents? Oh, geez. Presidents four. So that's the senior B national championship. That's, that is. Yeah. And then what about senior, founders? Uh, one founders. One founders. So that's a junior B national championship. Yeah. Yeah. And people don't realize that Senior B has pro lacrosse players playing. It's, it's, it's all pros. It's all pros. It's all pros. And most of the time that – at that time, you know, obviously you played for the Buffalo Bandits and Rochester and all that. You won a championship. In the summer you played Senior B or you played Senior A. And that's all that was available. So even when the outdoor pro leagues were starting up at, at the end of my career, I played, I played in the World Games until 2006. So I had played in five of them. Five games. Yeah, right in a row. I was the captain of all five of them. And then uh, from 90 to 2006, I was 46 years old covering Mikey Powell straight out of college. <laughs> so so I, I'll never forget this. John Desco was the coach, and it was in uh, London, Ontario. He says to me, uh, the, uh, the defensive coordinator comes up to me for the Iroquois and says, Red, uh, who do you want to cover? And it was myself, Marshall Abrams, you know, defensive player of the year at Syracuse, a uh, D1 stud, All-American. Yes. Sid, Smith. Sid Smith was the other defenseman. And then, uh, you know, we, we had three Syracuse guys and then actually a fourth with Joey or uh, Travis Solomon at the time. But he, he, he ended up, you know, uh, passing away, my, our great friend Travis. So we actually had a whole Syracuse defense playing against a whole Syracuse attack. So they said to me, the, the boys, they go, Red, who are you covering? And you got Mikey, you got Ryan, or you got Casey. Which one do you want? So I'm the oldest guy on the team by probably 20 years. And uh, they're looking at me, and they're like, you cover Casey. Or you cover uh, Mikey. Kid's lightning. So I'm the oldest guy covering the fastest guy and the youngest guy. So uh, 
to me, I, I, I came back and had to check myself a little bit, you know, <laughs> and go out there. And then Casey walked up to me and started laughing. He goes, Mikey, I'm glad he's covering you and not me. And, uh, <laughs> you always were pretty fast, though. The story that you, that you, t- that you tell about the time, tell me the story where uh, you, you accidentally, like, cross-checked John Grant Sr. in the team. Oh, geez, God, that's that, – that was an accident because you don't do that on purpose, not that big man. If, you, if anyone knows John Grant Sr., he's, a, he's probably six foot six. I'm going to say, on a, a bad day slumping over. And uh, he, we were playing down at Philadelphia Forum, and at that time all you wore was a, basically a, like a, a, a plastic mouth guard over the front of your lips. And it was also, like an NFL kicker? Ex- exactly. <laughs> like the one bar, but yeah. we had no bars. And he had a wide open mask, I remember, and I, I may be wrong, but maybe Mr. Grant doesn't have a tooth or so, maybe at the time missing, or I'm not positive. But he was the best behind the back passer, and, you know, he was tall and lean and lanky, uh, unlike his son is, you know, more muscular, shorter stature, but a bigger guy, you know. And uh, I think I was just going to be a senior in high school or, or, or was going to Syracuse at the time and just won a championship, and I was – pissing vinegar and thought I was a badass, you know, and I started chasing him around the forum and uh, I went to cross check him and he's so tall, he kind of leaned over and it just slid up and I smoked him right in the lips and he got mad and I looked up and he was bleeding a little bit and he started chasing me around and he chased me behind a goal and up the sidelines and this and that and uh, I ran over and he goes, you're a fast son of a bitch and you're a lucky bastard and and, uh, I got to the bench, they go, they go, Jesus Christ, you know who that is? I go, no, but that guy's madder than hell at me. I just checked him in the lips, and he wants to kill me. And I ran around the whole game trying to avoid being beaten to death by that man. But, uh, you know, that was that was one of those deals where, you know, you, you were in the awe of a person like that was kind of an idol at the time. And uh, I was just happy to be out there and fortunate enough to play against somebody that good. It's unreal, man. And so um, give, me a, give us a quick bio. So you graduated from Syracuse in 85, and, um, you know, you've obviously been a part – lacrosse has been a huge part of your life all the way through. So, But just give us a rundown on where you've coached and where you've played along the way, you know, the, the quick elevator story speaks there. I, I mean, I played in the pro league for uh, – and started in 87. Uh, played in uh, – it was actually called the New Jersey Saints at that time. And I had played, you know, on the reservation before that in, uh, in Syracuse and then uh, went on to play, you know, a bunch of years in Buffalo 92-93 team and on to Rochester in the later 90s. I, I took a year off. Then I went to uh, Syracuse after that little run, the Syracuse smash. And uh, I think that was 99. We stopped and then I kept playing. Uh, I, I kept staying on the world team. And then in between all those games, I would either play senior A or senior B and, uh, you know, obviously – after your junior years, but, uh, you know, right out of high school and right to college. And I, I honestly just stayed in shape and, and tried to make it almost like after a while it was starting to get to be a joke. You know, they, I captained that team for a 90, our very first year as the Iroquois Nationals. And, you know, I was like, well, we got one or two national players on here that were D1 guys. So I wanted to see if I could play in another one. And I played with my brothers and, uh, after the second one or third one, and then the fourth one, they're like, are you going to try out again? And then after the fifth one, and I played indoors, I, I said, man, I played actually for Darius Kilgore for the, the, the world team for indoors. I think that was 02, I believe. <laughs> He's run back and forth. But, uh, you, played with him, you played with him and for him over the years? Yeah, I played with him in, in uh, Rochester or Buffalo, and then he stayed there, obviously, and went on the coach. 
But it was weird leaving because half our team had won, the 92-93 teams. We won those back-to-back. And a bunch of our guys left and went on to Rochester as an expansion team. And then we ended up winning it in Rochester one year. And then, uh, you know, like Randy Mearns and some other, you know, guys who coached. And obviously Randy's the head coach of the, uh, the, the Canadian team who won a gold in those six as well, or 14. And then, um, you know, just to have some of those guys play with you, be with you, leave, the, leave that area, go away, and, and actually become really good friends to this day, uh, you know, I just, I just kept playing as much as I could. And then uh, I ended up coaching uh, in high school in Western New York. Uh, I coached, uh, man, I coached so many teams. I coached at Niagara Weefield High School. I had uh, gone to uh, Niagara on the Lake, coached a box across for all those years. Even on the senior A team, when we played in Aquasasting, the first year, I was a player, and uh, along with John Tavares and that, and our coach halfway through the year, ended up quitting. Or, or, or something happened, he couldn't do it for work. And I was on, actually like a player coach for that uh, that one year that Aquasasson had a senior A team, which we played. We had won a number of uh, President Cups in the early 90s, you know, right in a row. And then we just said, well, geez, you know, it's, we, we won two, three, four in a row. We ended up going senior A. And uh, I ended up coaching that team halfway through the year and playing like, uh, what's that movie there, Slapshot? Reg- Reggie Dunlop, uh, player coach. <laughs> And, uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, we had a number, we, we had a bunch of players. We ended up playing uh, Peterborough with Johnny Grant Jr. And, uh, and a senior A championship for the, um, the uh, seven-game series. We ended up beating them and then eventually losing to Brampton, who had won the uh, Eastern. And uh, they, they beat us in a six-game series, I believe, at that time. And uh, they went out to actually win, out, win it out west, which could have got another ring if we had done that. And that would have been a hell of a deal where – a first-year team comes into the senior A, a coach leaves, you're coaching and playing, and you win the Man Cup. I mean, that would be a Cinderella story right there. But, yeah, we, uh, you know, we, we went on. But uh, now I'm coaching uh, – I've coached high school in Florida uh, for the last three years at IMG Academy. Uh, got a hell of a team. Bunch of players here. And coach played for us, and Jared Fernandez gone on to some – we've had some great players. You know, the, there's some guys that are playing um, – that are uh, sorry about that uh, as as well. So we we've we've uh, I coached high school in, in Carolinas, and then you know I I've had numerous offers with the college. I, I kind of wanted to stay with high school until my kids graduated. That's yeah. probably why I didn't do it. And uh, you know I was doing my own thing with my own business. And uh, you know now there's now there's opportunities. Obviously, I'm coaching the Iroquois men's national team. I'm yeah, coach. let's talk about that a little bit. Are you getting fired up for the World Games or what? Uh, man, we're we're uh, through, we're two weeks out. You know, uh, got a conference call tonight. Just um, where we're going to get a little uh, mini camp going this weekend. Too many people that you know. Some of the issues we have with our team, uh, you know, not many people know is half of our team works and can't get away, and they're and they're all in different areas. Some are out in California, Canada. You know, the the logistics of it just to get the twenty three guys together is is insane. It's uh, it's probably the biggest determining factor of of you know why we don't pick the team so early because of, because when we do it ends up being that person goes away or gets a job or can't do it or gets injured or whatever the reason so our logistics really hammer us even though we're in the northeast it, it's it's crazy so we're really excited to get ready getting ready to go uh like i said conference call tonight kind of going over just uh some uh do's and don'ts and uh some dot in the eyes and hopefully uh, getting this. Hey, walk us through the roster a little bit. 
Uh, I mean, look at <laughs> There's no secrets. Uh, Iroquois National are going to have a good offense. Always have. The issue we've always had, I mean, I played for the Iroquois Nationals my first three world games as a face-off midi slash, you know, midfielder. Now, I, 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 we mostly went two-way middies, our guys, and just like I did in college. Uh, after the third or fourth world games, you know, I got sick of, we don't have any defensemen. Uh, you know, we, we had a goalie at the time because he played D1, but you only had one guy or two guys. That's it. That's all you chose from. That's it. You're not going there and going, well, we got 12 goalies we got to look at today. You're going, it's either him or him. That's it. <laughs> and if he's not doing anything after college, he probably hasn't seen shots in two years. Okay. So every four years, there's not a college goalie coming out of D1 Virginia or, you know, uh, Denver or Syracuse or whatever, you know, or the Hopkins goalie's a native kid. It's just not happening. Yeah. Neither is the faceoff guy and neither is all the four poles or five poles or LSM. So you, you go to this thing going, all right, uh, well, I'll play defense. And that's how I started playing defense for Iroquois Nationals. The, the one year I did it, I, I did really well in it. I think I had seven goals as a long pole. I don't know if anyone's ever scored seven pole or seven goals as a long pole in the World Games. If they did, I, I want to know who it is. And I faced off them games with the long pole against guys like Gary Gate and Paul Gate. And uh, uh, at that time, there was no real Fogos, per se, you know. There was for Australia. And then they would have a stick that was bent to a – basically, you can't beat them because it was, a, it was literally just a stiff – you know, Gordon Purdy. Yeah, and Gordon Purdy, who, who might have played in the most world games. I'm not positive. He's probably played in six or seven himself. And, uh, uh, it, it, but to, to go out there and then just say, this is the same thing we're experiencing from 1990 to 2018. We have those deep holes now. We unfortunately had two guys get injured, both play for an Albany. One was my nephew, Colin Lyons, ACL and another kid named Round Point, which would have been two D1 guys that actually played D1 and played defense as opposed to two D1 guys that played midfield or faced off and played defense. Yeah. And, you know, and, and uh, like a kid like Tyson Bonberry, who's going to be on there. And, you know, you, when you go to the tryout, you have basically your best athlete, if you can do it, or a guy who may have to do a different role, similar to what I did, just try out and say, listen, you play box lacrosse, you play cross-check defense, we're going to put a pole in your hand. But the slides are so much different. The whole game is different. So we haven't had that, obviously, that, um, how you would say, uh, fortunate <laughs> luck to have that, that type of uh, player come to our team where now we're starting to experience it more and more. Yeah. So, um, so who are the notable guys that are not going to be able to play for you guys? You were telling me that some of the – you know, it's like it's a little up in the air as to some of your better athletes. So who's who's not playing that could really help you out? Oh, oh, God. Uh, two that come to mind are two of the best players in college, D1 lacrosse, and you guys know their names. Zed Williams be one of them. And, um, you know, obviously we talked about our our other one. And uh, Zach. Zach Miller, I mean, he's he's a Denver star. I, I, I spoke to Matty Brown, who's on that staff, and, he says he said he's one of the best players, if not the best player he's ever coached. He he won't be on the team, and he was in fourteen, and uh, you know just just uh, uh, and and one other kid we were gonna take a good look at, and he was a little bit banged up was um, 
uh, Patterson, who had a hell of a year for um, all oh, the yeah. You know, he was a good lefty, and I thought he broke down middies really well and thought, yeah, he thought, he, thought we could use him and a pretty good sniper. Uh, but, you know, those, those three and obviously the couple of guys I spoke of as um, uh, the defensemen, Colin Lyons and uh, Crown Point is the other one who uh, tore his ACL right before the season for Albany. And both actually happened to be Albany players. And one was actually my nephew. And uh, they're both uh, obviously at their, uh, their chances, but they, they won't be able to do it. And, you know, it's, you guys, um, you, guys uh, you know, it's amazing when you, when you look at the – when you look at Native Americans and, and the amount of world-class players that they, that the reservations are pumping out into the, into the world on a per capita basis is off the charts. I mean, if you think about it, we were talking about this earlier, you know, how many total players are there, you know, in all, on all the reservations and then look at how many world-class players that we can define as, you know, let's just say, you know, pros, right? And what is that? What do those numbers? What do those numbers look like? I mean, it's it seems like it's insane. If 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 for for the viewers that don't know, Six Nations is is actually the Iroquois Six Nations. Okay, there's only an, a group of people that go from Six Nations, which is in Brantford area, you know, uh, of Ontario. To, yep, Ontario, and 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 Quebec is. As uh, Ganawage is uh, is right in Montreal, and then down to Cornwall where Aquasasne is, and then you have Onondaga in the middle of the Syracuse area, all the way to the Senecas and the Tuscaroras, and then you know Tonawanas as well. So we we've we've uh, I coached high school in, in Carolinas, and then you know I I've had numerous offers with the college. I I kind of wanted to stay with high school until my kids graduated. That's yeah. probably why I didn't do it, and uh, you know I was doing my own thing with my own business and. Uh, you know, now there's, now there's opportunities, obviously. I'm coaching the Iroquois men's national team. I'm yeah, coach. let's talk about that a little bit. Are you getting fired up for the World Games or what? Uh, man, we're, we're, uh, two, we're two weeks out, you know. Uh, got a conference call tonight just um, where we're going to get a little uh, mini camp going this weekend. Too many people that, you know, some of the issues we have with our team, uh, you know, not many people know is half of our team works and can't get away, and they're, and they're all in different areas. Some are out in California, Canada, you know, the, the logistics of it. Just to get the 23 guys together is, is insane. It's uh, it's probably the biggest determining factor of, of you know why we don't pick the team so early, because of, because when we do, it ends up being that person goes away or gets a job or can't do it or gets injured or whatever the reason. So our logistics really hammer us, even though we're in the Northeast. It, it's it's crazy. So we're really excited to get ready. Getting ready to go. Uh, like I said, conference call tonight. Kind of going over just uh, some uh, do's and don'ts and uh, some dot in the eyes and hopefully uh, getting this. Hey, walk us through the roster a little bit. Uh, I mean, look at <laughs> There's no secrets. Uh, Iroquois National are going to have a good offense. Always have. The issue we've always had, I mean, I played for the Iroquois Nationals my first three world games as a face-off midi slash, you know, midfielder. No, I, 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 we mostly went two-way middies, our guys, and just like I did in college. Uh, after the third or fourth World Games, you know, I got sick of we don't have any defensemen. Uh, you know, we, we had a goalie at the time because he played D1, but you only had one guy or two guys. That's it. That's all you chose from. That's it. You're not going there and going, well, we got 12 goalies we got to look at today. You're going, it's either him or him. 
That's it. <laughs> and if he's not doing anything after college, he probably hasn't seen shots in two years. Okay. So every four years, there's not a college goalie coming out of D1 Virginia or, you know, uh, Denver or Syracuse or whatever, you know, or the Hopkins goalie's a native kid. It's just not happening. Yeah. Neither is the face-off guy, and neither is all the four poles or five poles or LSM. So you, you go to this thing going, all right, uh, well, I'll play defense. And that's how I started playing defense for Iroquois Nationals. The, the one year I did it, I, I did really well in it. I think I had seven goals as a long pole. I don't know if anyone's ever scored seven, pole or seven goals as a long pole in the World Games. If they did, I, I want to know who it is. And I faced off them games with the long pole against guys like Gary Gate and Paul Gate. And uh, uh, at that time, there was no real Fogos, per se, you know. There was for Australia. And then they would have a stick that was bent to a – basically, you can't beat them because it was, a, it was literally just a stiff you know, shot. Gordon Purdy. Yeah, and Gordon Purdy, who, who might have played in the most world games. I'm not positive. He's probably played in six or seven himself. And uh, – uh, it, but to, to go out there and then just say, this is the same thing we're experiencing from 1990 to 2018. We have those deep holes now. We unfortunately had two guys get injured, both play for an Albany. One was my nephew, Colin Lyons, ACL, and another kid named Round Point, which would have been two D1 guys that actually played D1 and played defense as opposed to two D1 guys that played midfield or faced off and played defense. Yeah. And, you know, and, and uh, like a kid like Tyson Bonberry, who's going to be on there. And, you know, you, when you go to the tryout, you have basically your best athlete, if you can do it, or a guy who may have to do a different role, similar to what I did, just try out and say, listen, you play box lacrosse, you play cross-check defense, we're going to put a pole in your hand. But the slides are so much different. The whole game is different. So we haven't had that, obviously, that, um, how you would say, uh, fortunate <laughs> <laughs> luck to have that that type of uh, player come to our team where now we're starting to experience it more and more yeah so um, so who are the notable guys that are not going to be able to play for you guys you were telling me that some of the you know it's like it's a little up in the air as to some of your better athletes so who's who's not playing that could really help you out oh oh god uh, two that come to mind are two of the best players in college d1 lacrosse and you guys know their names Zed Williams be one of them. And, um, you know, obviously we talked about our, our other one and uh, yeah. Zach Miller. I mean, he's, he's a Denver star. I, I, I spoke to Matty Brown, who's on that staff, and he, says, he said he's one of the best players, if not the best player he's ever coached. He, he won't be on the team, and he was in 14. And, uh, you know, just, just – uh, uh, and, and one other kid we were going to take a good look at, and he was a little bit banged up, was um, – uh, Patterson, who had a hell of a year for um, all oh, yeah. You know, he was a good lefty, and I thought he broke down middies really well and thought yeah, he thought, he, thought we could use him and a pretty good sniper. Uh, but, you know, those those three and obviously the couple of guys I spoke of as um, uh, the defensemen, Colin Lyons and uh, Crown Point is the other one who uh, tore his ACL right before the season for Albany, and both actually happened to be Albany players, and one was actually my nephew. and uh, They're both uh, obviously at their uh, – their chances, but they, they won't be able to do it. And, you know, it's, you guys, um, you guys, uh, you know, it's amazing when you, when you look at the, when you look at native Americans and, and the amount of world-class players that they, 
reservations are pumping out into the into the world on a per capita basis is off the charts. I mean, if you think about it, we were talking about this earlier, you know, how many total players are there, you know, in all on all the reservations, and then look at how many world-class players that we can define as, you know, let's just say, you know, pros. Right. And what is that? What are those numbers? What do those numbers look like? I mean, it's, it seems like it's insane. If, if, if for, for the viewers that don't know, Six Nations is, is actually the Iroquois Six Nations. Okay. There's only an, a group of people that go from Six Nations, which is in Brantford area, you know, uh, of Ontario. To, yep, Ontario. And, and, and Quebec is, is, uh, Ganawage is, uh, is right in Montreal and then down to Cornwall where Aquasasne is. And then you have Onondaga in the middle of the Syracuse area, all the way to the Senecas and the Tuscaroras. And then, you know, Tonawanda's in the middle and the Nida's in the middle of that in between the Syracuse, the Rochester area. And, and out of those six nations, you know, we probably have total, and I'm talking about kids, men playing, people in the pros, uh, People trying out, playing in leagues, past players, this and that, playing box, playing senior A, senior B. Right now, we were trying to figure out a number, which, you know, it's, it's kind of mind-boggling that we might only have fifteen to 2,000 players playing and 30 to 40 of them to choose from at the world-class level. Out of the 1,500, probably 1,000 to 1,200 or maybe 1,600 of those are kids. And we only probably have 300 or less. Probably, we, we honestly, I, I had the tryouts. We didn't have 300 people try out, okay? <laughs> we didn't have 300 people try out. We didn't have, we didn't have 130 people try out, okay? It was probably more along the numbers of 40 to 60 that you could actually, you know, I mean, obviously you played before. Maybe you were on the world team before. You, you come out, you're just missing that step. If you're not at that level, it's just – it's not what it is. It's you, your mind might say you can do it, but you can't do it. But then when you get against somebody, you know, you just came out of college, even just coming out of college, that's, that's a man playing against a, a kid. Yeah. And these are men and these are the best in the world. And I mean, the six nations alone, there's probably 500 nations out there, 500 tribes. We can't, we can't just go out West and pick somebody up from uh, Oklahoma. We have three non-passport players. So what that means is if they're not from the Six Nations and they can't prove lineage or are on that role or their mothers are, you know, from that reserve and they can't prove it, they, they are non-issued passports. So we can go to somebody like somebody who lives, say, for instance, like a, uh, Kyle Jackson's going to be on our team who is also a Canadian, all right? He's going to be a non-passport player. We can use three people that do that. Out of those 500 nations, that – we can't choose from those people. Even if they could play the game, we can't choose from them. So that draw, they think if they see somebody who's really athletic, and we'd love to have that person. But there's only three of those people we can pick. But the, 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 the amazing stat that I just want to make sure that we all realize is that there's only 1,500 to 2,000 players playing in the Six Nations of all those reservations, and yet – there, there are 30 or 40 world-class level players. I mean, think That's about amazing. that. Like, Greenwich Youth, <laughs> Lacrosse, issue. Greenwich Youth Lacrosse has 1,500 players. <laughs> That's Greenwich. That's one town in Connecticut. 
and you guys have about 1,500 players, and yet you've got Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer, e even in one given era. Now, there's definitely more now yeah. than it was probably 20 years ago. Because, Absolutely. But I don't know why. We can talk about that. But you know, <coughs> you, you, people that are listening to this conversation, you need to, like, think about this. We, we have in our country, the U.S., we've got, I don't know, 750,000 lacrosse players. And then, you know, you put whatever number you want on what, what might be world-class, you know, a couple hundred, 300, whatever you want to call that. I don't know how we would just define that exactly, right? Yeah. But, and you look at in Canada, they've got about 100,000. Yeah. And they've, in Canada has beaten us two out of the last three years in, in the world championship. So they're obviously putting out world-class players. And you guys have – you know, uh, uh, just imagine if you had, you know, 6,000 players playing, I mean, you know, it's a numbers game for the Iroquois National. <laughs> out. And, and you just, you know, obviously the box background lends itself more to the offensive players and you just need more athletes to be able to, you know, defend and all that. We get that. But the reason why I think it's so fascinating is because it leads me on to the next question, which is that, so what, you guys have just a better development system than everybody else? you got better coaches you know, spending a lot more money on it. I mean, like, you know, how is it that these players are coming up with such a small population getting to world-class skill? I mean, look at Tahoka. Look at Chase Scanlon. It's one guy after another. These young guys, these older guys, the Thompsons, Stats brothers. Yeah. People have never even seen Audie Stats play. Yeah. Most people don't even know who he is. He's, he's like in the top five or ten players in the world, and yeah. he's not even going to play college lacrosse. It's mind-blowing that this has happened, how is it even possible? Yeah, it's, well, I, I will say this, <clears throat> and it's gone away, and we've talked about this before, you and I, Jay. Backyard lacrosse. Backyard lacrosse has disappeared, okay? It hasn't on the reservation, and it hasn't in the nations that we're at, in six nations. Every kid and every guy who played almost makes his kid play lacrosse, and what they do, instead of being inside, now remember, most of these kids are on the poorer side. So it's kind of like, I wouldn't call it a, a neighborhood. I wouldn't call it, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's our neighborhood, okay? We go down to the box. And they start playing lacrosse. We play so many games with no equipment on, okay? No helmets, no gloves, wooden sticks, guys cross-checking each other. And, and they don't really, and they're being really competitive. And they're in the backyard trying to emulate stuff they see and what their fathers taught them. And if you get smoked with a ball, they make fun of, fun of you if it hurts you. And you go home as a baby, they won't even invite you back. They don't want you back. So th the mindset changes a bit, and so does the, the type of training you do. Now, obviously, you're in the box, and you're playing hard, and kids are messing around. But if you can do this – Sometimes we wouldn't have goalies. We'd, put, we'd hang plastic bottles in the corner of the goal. They're shooting on smaller nets. It's just about them out there trying to out – like I ask kids nowadays, I ask them this. I go, how many guys here ever been in a fight? And you'll look around the room, no one will raise their hand. You probably fought ten times while you were down at the box just fooling around playing lacrosse and wrestling around and grabbing it. And I say, how many guys know how to play tag? They don't, they don't even know what that is. They, does anyone ever got hit with an apple? <laughs> They're like, what? I said, yeah, you know, like Apple Wars. You guys never had Apple Wars? They're like, 
No. I said, you never smoked your friend with an apple and chased him in the woods and all? No. It, it just it, it it blows my mind. You know, some they don't know what a they don't know what a CD looks like, or a, you know, like a, a they think a, a record is a, a big giant CD. You know, the things have changed over the years, but yeah, I will say this: what, the good, Sandlot good, model, though. Get back to your question. It's backyard lacrosse, and every single kid goes down to the res, and they stand around, and they shoot, and they watch their friend shoot. And, oh, man, I can do that. And then he tries doing it. And then, oh, yeah, I don't have a left hand, so I'm going to do – I'm going to do – I mean, you don't even know. When I was coaching Lyle and Miles and those guys in high school and Randy Stats and those guys, they were doing that when they were in high school. They were doing that growing up. They'd come around a cage and try to throw that, that, that shovel pass. Coaches would kill you if you tried to do that on a, on a field team. What are you doing throwing the ball behind the back? You can't even play on our team. You know how many kids at IMG I get right now that come there? And say, man, I, our coach would scream at us if we threw a behind the back pass or right. did that double shot. And so, what I do is I, I let them be creative. And that's the most – I think maybe that might be one of the biggest reasons you've seen kids on the res, res doing uh, trick shots because they were very creative and they were free to do whatever they wanted. They were free to do it. And it, the competition was so fierce that you couldn't be a baby. You, you had to learn to – take it, and you had to learn together. And that's kind of the way if you watch those kids play. It's true because, like, you'll see, you'll see, you know, whether, it's, whether it was uh, Zach Miller or Lyle Thompson or Randy Stats, and they are getting the crap beat out of them, and it's like nobody's even there. That's right. They, they, they look they, – their, their gaze is beyond their man as if there was nobody on them and they're just – like, you know, watching what's going to happen next and making. What's the next play? What's the next play? It's amazing. And so I've been, you know, I've been on this. I grew up playing Sandlot sports like you did. We all, all of us guys our age, we grew up playing all of our sports that way. And we got pretty darn good at a lot of sports that way. And the Sandlot, I call it the Sandlot model development. It works. And it, it has, other than, you know, other than in basketball where kids still, still play pickup, Although that's not even as big as it was with all the AAU. Um, and the, the lacrosse, I mean, people almost never play pickup lacrosse. And never. You know, I've been playing a ton of it um, with my kids. And we went to, you know, we were at, I, I told you, we went to Darius's reservation about five different times this past June, um, just playing pickup, trying to resurrect it in Tuscarora and trying to resurrect the idea of everything from creativity to the love of the game. Uh, to competitiveness. I mean, people forget about like you know, like I, we were on on a call with Darius Kilgore a couple minutes ago, and and and, and like I literally would want to beat Darius more than anything in the world, and and, <laughs> and, and that's like that feeling is like competitiveness that you know I feel like you lose sometimes when you're just thrown into a situation that doesn't even mean anything to you. Like when it's, it's no challenge. What? There's no challenge. Yeah, it's just different when you know it's when it's personal, it's 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 better. But 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 so the that that Sandlot model is an amazing model. But I I've always thought about what I call also the the pass it down model. And the pass it down model, I remember when I didn't really experience that until well, I played a lot of pickup soccer. And when I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island, there was a huge population of Portuguese people, and they played pickup soccer every day in the afternoon in the summer. And I would go down and play every day. 
And these older guys would be like, hey, you know, man, check this out. Or I'd be like, hey, what did you do? And I started thinking about what happens in general in box lacrosse because you get to start playing with older kids. And, of course, when you play pickup games, you're playing with older kids. I also received those experiences playing summer league. When I got to, when I got to like senior year in high school and I would, I'd be playing and Dom Starja was like, you know, I wasn't even playing for the guy yet. He was playing in the league and you'd, you'd be having a beer after the game with your future head coach and being like, Hey, like, what did you do on that play? But the philosophy podcast is brought to you by JM three sports. Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 video assessment tool. Talk about how the pass it down model has, because in my opinion, it's one of the most powerful teaching tools that there is, but give me your opinions on that and how it relates to developing players and kids on the reservation and stuff. Well, I mean, just developing them alone, like I said, if you played, you made your son play. You gave him a stick when he was little. You went. You had him going out there pretty much like you said. Uh, I think the big factor is just like the little brother is always the best one, usually for the most part, better than the rest because he's always playing against older, tougher, stronger, more, and he's got to try harder. So when they start to do that, that's why they say, oh, you got to see his little brother. Well, he's had the most experience because he started earlier and got the most beatings, right? He, 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 got, he was stuck in the goal. You're playing goalie. I don't want to play goalie. You're playing goalie. So that kid ended up getting tougher. <clears throat> or the youngest one's your daughter. She can't play goal. Oh, well, she's not playing that. So it's, that's kind of how it does. So just what you, you, you referred to, you go back to the box. Everyone met down at the box. Everyone started playing. If you lived in the city and you didn't have the box in your backyard, you went in the backyard. I, I have pictures. I, I, I think I told you this before. My sons playing out in front of our house, and people used to come by our house. We, we lived in uh, kind of near Tuscarora, right off the reserve, after I moved to Buffalo. And we had a box goal out there and a hockey net out on our lawn, and people would be like, where do you live? I'd say, oh, down on this corner over here uh, in the curve. And they go, oh, oh, you're the one with all the lacrosse shit out there in the, in the front lawn, and your kids are always playing. My son broke his arm in a box game, came home and had a uh, cast put on it, and he was a lefty. and I couldn't I, – I still to this day could not believe it. I was in the – I was coaching the game. He cross-checked somebody and broke his own wrist. He, he went and got a cast on. They, they, they fixed his wrist with a with – it sounded like a beer can popping. The guy didn't do – my son says, no, you don't have to give me any, uh, you know, shots or anything. They set his arm, and the guy was looking over his shoulder at me so he couldn't – my son wouldn't see him. And when he set his arm, he popped it back in, and the guy goes, I can't believe that just happened. He came home that day. There was a 2 o'clock game. We set his arm at 3.30 or 4 at the hospital. At 5 o'clock, he was throwing a ball off the bounce back in our front yard. We had a little steel bounce back thing that I made, a piece of steel I found, I think, in a junkyard. And he was out there, and I said to my wife, is he outside shooting that ball one-handed? She goes, yeah, I think so. I go, he's got a cast on. He came out of the hospital. No, no. That don't happen anymore, Okay. Yeah. That day he's running around. The next day he's playing one arm. He had to play goalie because we're shooting on him. We didn't have a goalie. You know, and, and that was passed down like, you know, you can't play. You got broke arm. Oh, I can play. No, you yeah. can't. You made fun of them and you made them play and you made them tough. And well, you taught well I want to talk about uh, one, of your, one of the best kids you've coached as of late was, was uh, Tahoka. 
right? And Tahogan to Nanticoke um, grew up playing on Six Nations. You probably knew the kid for a lot of years, played for you down at IMG. I asked you about this once like a year ago. You know, th this guy's got more skills in his repertoire than most people in the world, as many as anybody, more yeah. than most. And, I mean, he, he's world-class right now. Is he going to be on your national team? He will be, yes. Yeah, so here he is. He's 20 years old. Yeah. And, you know, you, you're like, hey, man, he, he learned all that stuff playing, playing backyard lacrosse, playing pickup. But, yeah. but this is where I think that the combination of the freeness, the freedom to do whatever you want in a pickup game meets, hey – Lyle Thompson showed up at the box one day and he, do, he was doing this. And, and that's the pass it down part where like a coach doesn't usually want to tell you stuff because they're trying to win a game. Yeah. But the older guy that's doing it is like, yeah, I'll tell you exactly what I did because they love talking about it. Sure. So can you tell me a couple, a couple stories about like, you know, memories that you have as, as far as like that kind of thing, great players teaching you or teaching to Holgo or anybody else. I mean, just just going back to when I played, you know, I, I really I, – I was around lacrosse all the time. I didn't really want to play it. I played football and wrestled, and uh, I ran track. I was fast. You know, I was, I was probably going to get a track scholarship because, you know, I ran 100 real fast, and, you know, I had a good 40 time. And, uh, you know, I, I had broken my leg playing football the last day of practice. And, uh, you know, Oliver Hill, I don't know if you know his name, but he's, he's pretty famous, and uh, he grew up – he's – from the uh, Onondaga Reserve, and he came up and did a clinic one time at uh, our school, Hennigar High School, which happened to be an ice skating rink. And he says, he says, he says, he's called me Red Man. He said, if you can hit that square right there ten times in a row, and then move back, you could probably play lacrosse. And I, you know, I just shot at, it. I sucked at it, and I grew up around a tennis court and a handball court, so I went up there, and every single day, I even. Got thrown out of the park one time because I had painted a, a box goal on the inside wall of the um, <laughs> of the uh, handball court, and there were some real big handball players back in Syracuse back in those days. And he'd go, that little bastard right there, he went up there and drew a damn box or something on there, and, you know, we can't get it off. I used some airplane paint. I don't know where the hell I got it. I <laughs> soaked that whole wall with it. And, uh, and, and you know, just – just going there and just remembering, like to this day, people saying about wall ball. Well, there's no walls on the reserve other than maybe, you know, the box. So you throw it off the wall there. But if you lived in a city like our family did, and we went back and forth every weekend, the, the people would just, you know, look at you like you were nuts. But in Syracuse, because the, the, the reserve was there and it was on a dog nation, they knew what it was at least because they played it at the War Memorial. And what we would do is go down there emulate what they did and go home and practice it. And then when you'd see them, they, there wasn't clinics you went to and you didn't go to this camp and this, there was none of that. There was go down to the reserve and play and watch what the guys did, like the, you know, Freeman Bucktooth and the, the you know, the, the, the group of guys that were the Onondaga Warriors back in the day. And they played other reserves and that was the thing to do on Sunday. Go watch that game. There was fights there. And I mean, it was awesome, you know, to go see it as a kid. And, I just copied, like, uh, you know, Sluggo Hill. I wanted to, you know, I, I liked the way his move was or something. And I would go home and try that thing 25 times. I sucked at it, the first 15 of them. But then you start getting better and better. But then you go to reserve. And, you know, there's older people playing with younger people. And they're just in a pickup game. And if you team won, you stayed on it, just like basketball. If your team lost, you got off. You know, you played the first guy to six. 
and you might play two games at one end, you know, or, you know, one goal you play down there and half, half was out and the ball never went out of bounds, which was another good thing. So, you know, other than just getting, you know, Tahoga, his brother, you know, kind of taught him to play growing up. And, you know, I, I saw him and uh, all these stats. They were, they used to play on a team uh, and they were probably ninth graders or eighth graders at the time. And they were a little pudgy guys at the time, you know, and they were, I looked at him, I go, man, these kids got really good hands. If they ever get in good shape, they're going to be sick, you know. And one was a lefty, one was a righty. And, you know, Audie's going to be on this team as well. And, I mean, we're going to have a, a who's who group. But you look at Nanako, he came down there and he was doing stuff that some coaches don't like to do. And that's probably why he went to where he went because the freedom was there. And, you know, the, the guy is kind of laid back. And uh, Scotty Marr, who's actually one of our – He's our offensive coordinator for the oh, team. <laughs> and uh, Lars Tiffany's the defensive coordinator. So there's a, yeah, there, there's a guy who grew up in central New York. He grew played up in Lafayette. Played a Lafayette, was around natives all his life, played with them, played against them, played for them, coached a few. And Scotty's coached a few. I, I, I figured what's the best fit? You got yeah. guys that are doing it now in college. He's an offensive guy. He's a defensive guy. And uh, Can't beat that. You can't beat it, right? And and so and plus they get it, they get it. But there's some guys that don't get it. That you can't yeah. coach those kids because you, they they feel that they're not structured enough, or you know. And I and one thing I always told our guys: if you're not turning the ball over, you're not playing the way we play because you can't do it perfect all the time. Right. So don't you gotta you gotta be able to accept. Okay, I might have I might lead the league in turnovers, but I'm also gonna lead the league in points per game. Because the way we score and how fast we play. So that mindset, I try to do that to this day. We did it at Syracuse. We did it for the Iroquois. I've been playing that way all my life. We did it in a box. I coached that way. And, you know, I just feel that, you know, maybe that was because the way we grew up. <clears throat> Getting back to that thing you were talking about, Sandlot. I can tell you every single Saturday or Sunday, we would go out in my road on concrete, and there was a bus route there. And we would play tackle football in the street. Absolutely. Every Saturday, Sunday, in the winter, slush balls get smoked into the there – was, there was pipes on the side of the road. There was telephone poles. You put whatever pads you had on, knee pads, arm pads, you know, or we played hockey in the road just like you see on TV. Game on, game off. That, we did that every single week. Kill the guy with the ball in the park. We would go play kids in different parks and kick the shit out of them because we were so rough. And people would be like, there's something wrong with those guys, man. <laughs> Don't play those kids from Douglas Street. That's what they used to tell us. And, uh, and they go, they're playing tackle football right now in the street. Like, I wore a Carhartt jacket or maybe a couple, you know, pairs of pants. Uh, I remember I had wool pants. I went to the Army and Navy store, and we picked those up. And my mom's like, how come the knees and the elbows are tore out of these things? I said, Mom, it's kind of tough. You know, we're falling down on concrete. <laughs> we're playing on a road. I mean, you know, a bunch of times it was snowing out there, but – for the most part, we, we we play tackle football literally in the damn street. Hey, tell me the story, and, and then uh, as, as, as a grand finale to this, you got to tell, <laughs> tell the story. I know exactly what you're going to ask me about. Tell the story when you fought a bear. This is maybe the greatest story of all time. I know I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one, I'm not real proud of it, but it is a, <laughs> it's, it's a story for sure. Uh, you know, back in the day, they used to have a bear that you could uh, wrestle. And uh, I, I knew nothing about this. I just – State Fair in New York, something? 
State Fair, yep. And uh, they, they used to have a 10 by 10 cage. Maybe it was a little bigger. I don't know. The bear had the advantage, okay? And he was, he was a trained veteran. And if you're ever uh, – had the advantage, eh? Exactly, exactly. And, 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 and although he had a muzzle and he had no claws and he couldn't bite you, he was a bear. Okay? And, and I don't care. They still stink and they still sound the same and they're still faster than any human there is and they're stronger than any human there ever is. And I had gone to a thing with some football players and we were watching this and they were all fired up and we were, you know, had a few beverages. Now remember, 18 was the drinking age then. So we were all out of high school, 18 years old. You know, I think I think I don't know, maybe I was. This is before you got to Syracuse. It was while I was at Syracuse, and just at that time, just I think my maybe my freshman year, and you know, I I had done I did martial arts all my life, and you know, you know, I I wrestled and gotten a few fisticuffs in my day, and they were like, "Right, you got to wrestle the bear," and I'm like, "I'm absolutely not going in that ring. I don't care what you guys do," and you know, as you were watching it. All you had to do was last a minute, okay? And I had watched 30 people or 20 people, and you paid, I think it was at the time, $25, you know, and you, you wrestled the bear. And you didn't really wrestle him. You just got the shit beat out of you by the bear. And, and, and I had seen literally 20 big men last about seconds, like three to five seconds, because this thing came at you. And the guy talked to it in German, and uh, he had a long leash on it, and it had a harness on it with a muzzle, and – it was about 300 pounds and it was probably six foot tall. And here I am, 5'10, you know, 190. And I'm pretty strong, pretty fast, but that's a bear. And uh, my boys were with me for a football team, a couple of Syracuse guys. And they said, You can beat that bear, right? And as they kept telling me more and more, and I had, they were feeding me more beer, you know. So I am thinking, Well, I probably, maybe I can beat this thing. You know, them guys are doing it all wrong. And I'm trying to think what I would do. And uh, probably after maybe the eighth or ninth or tenth or twelfth, I don't know, beer I had, that they were buying, obviously, to get me primed up to go in there because they knew I would do it. And <laughs> they, they go, Red, it's your turn, man. And I'm like, what do you mean? And, the guy, and, and I think, I, I'm not sure. They put up the money, obviously. And they, they put me in there, and I went in that thing. And I'm not, t I'm not kidding you. You had to last a, a minute, and at ten seconds, it felt like two hours. This thing came at me, and – you can't – the only thing you couldn't do, they said, was you, all you had to do was, like, knock it off its feet to win, all right, or last a minute. So I went in there, and that thing came at me and swatted at me one time, and I'm telling you, I felt just the, the wind of it hitting my head, and it was, like, instant concussion. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I, I, I got out of the way, and it was around 20 seconds. They were cheering. My friends were going nuts, and they were losing, and I'm running around and ducking in it. And it's, it's getting mad, you know, because it cuts off the ring really well and the guy's telling it what to do. And you don't know what he's saying because he's talking German to it. And then all of a sudden it came at me and kind of like missed me. And I cracked this thing right in the jaw, like I like got a reaction. And it started bleeding. And the guy <laughs> said something to it. And I looked up and there was a timer up there. And the thing went, rah, rah, it started freaking going nuts. And it started mauling me. And I kind of got out of the way. And it got me in the corner. And the guy was like, and, I, and it was like a safe word of like, you know, uh, I don't know. I forgot what it was. Uh, uh, pots and pans or something. And that guy acted like he didn't hear what I was saying. And that bear was on top of me. <laughs> and, and I looked up, and my friend started throwing beers in the in the stands and throwing them at him. Get up! You know, they were, they were, we were, everyone's crying, laughing. And I got over the corner, and I was all, you know, I was a mess. And uh, the thing was on top of me, and it was trying to. You, you could smell the stench of its breath, and it, like the it was trying to mangle me. But that guy let it go on me. 
And then they, when I got out, they were like, hey, one, hey, one. And my friends were all throwing shit. Because the melee, and it was right outside the uh, <laughs> outside of where the where the uh, racetrack was, and people to this day, you know, even like some of my friends were there, and they're like, "Red, that was that was the nuttiest thing I've ever seen a human do." It's got to be away. like your greatest athletic achievement to be able to be in the in the ring <laughs> with the bear for that long. And you know what's funny, Jamie? I had a gun in the woods, and I hunt a lot in uh, Salamanca, and I saw a bear from uh, I don't know. 30 yards away and I had a gun and I was more nervous with a gun in my hand and you know a bear coming at me with some cubs than I was that night because I think I had the liquid courage so <laughs> you know that that always helps you but I uh I did I did pretty well for about 30 seconds which by the way if anyone's ever gonna wrestle a bear you want to try to move faster than him and but in a 10 by 10 it's like you're basically in a bathroom trying to get away from something and that thing swatted me one time and threw me against the fence. Or the, it was like actually a rope. And I went flying off that and kind of did like the old wrestler moves. It went underneath and ducked him. And I almost got him. And I kind of drilled him a little bit. But that punch in the nose, uh, and he started bleeding a little bit. And he kind of licked his nose, and he went nuts. Like he was, he thought he was, he thought he was going to murder somebody. And that guy said some stuff to me. And I can tell you what, their eyes get big when they get nuts, and they are fast, brother. Faster than the thing. I mean, it's the craziest. Oh, my God. That is the greatest story ever. Well, uh, <laughs> listen, hey, Red, uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and talking lacrosse with us. It was uh, really amazing to listen to the stories and, and to really think about, you know, uh, why the, the, the Native Americans have developed into such incredible players. And, and I think people are interested because there's so many people that, you know, they would, they would love their kids to have an opportunity to be as good as these kids that are just growing up and, and doing it in their backyards. And I think what people aren't really realizing is that you have more control over it than you think. You don't have to necessarily always sign up for, you know, every, every coach because you can do it in the backyard and you can just get better. And it's a love of the game and it's a competitiveness that people forget about and all this stuff. It's amazing. So thanks for sharing that. Good luck in the world games. Um, it's going to be really fun to watch you guys compete. Um, and uh, it would be, uh, it would be, it's going to be awesome. So thanks for coming on. Yeah. Jamie, the other thing was before you go, um, Obviously, you 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 mention it, and you you have the idea behind it. In order to like to ask those type of questions you're asking, you obviously get it. So so you know your son plays box across. He's played. He's got he's he's got his ring right now, right from last year. You got his uh, ring. Yeah, exactly. And I just Facetimed with him and Chase Scanlon, who's going to be playing on uh, actually this weekend in the, the Under Armour game down there in uh, Baltimore, in the you know the one Tahoga played in last year. So, you know, just, just getting back to what you said, the fundamentals were always there, okay? The, the repetition and the toughness came from stuff that we learned and getting passed down. And it was okay to get injured, and it was okay to get slashed. And just like you said about Randy, it was as if no one's bothering you, even though it's getting – where today the, the game is, is turned to more of – even with the refereeing, it's just you can't touch anybody, you can't hit anybody, that, that – Back then, obviously, you know, the game was played differently. But to this day, we still have these kids playing at this high level, like you just mentioned, those players and Miles and Lyle. And uh, going back to the stats, Randy Stats played for me in the Dick's Tournament of Champions way back in the day. He had made a move, and I heard it from the sidelines. He blew his knee out, ACL. That kid played the whole game, and the next game, and the game after that, 
with a blown out ACL and he knew it and he says, you're not taking me out. That's the type of kid he is and the type of player he was and still is. And now he's a man, obviously, and he's a man. He's, he, he's one of the toughest people you'll ever play against. And But he never thought for one second to take him out. And you, you we knew his knee was gone. You know, it kind of seems like the, that's going on right now with uh, Connor Fields. Right. You know, that type of, that's the type of player. That's the type of kid. Connor Fields, I knew him when he was a little kid. I used to be at his dad's place in Tuscarora, and he was right on the edge of the re- reserve. His the dad's bar was right down the street from Tuscarora right. Reserve. You grew up playing that. <laughs> yeah, and I knew him when he was a little kid growing up. And all, but that, we got to go back to that, just like what you're saying, that backyard lacrosse and that mentality, just like you said. The coaching, the coaches are the parents. The parents are the coaches. If they can, if they didn't play the game, at least make the kids tougher. That that should be the message. Make the kids tougher and go out in the backyard and get out of the house. Because when you were poor and you lived on a reserve, you weren't playing video games. I can tell you that. Yeah. To this day, I mean, those kids still go down in the box and play, and they grind it out. Now they have a, a lot nicer place there. They have two arenas on our, on the on Dogger Reserve. Yeah. But you go down there anytime. People are out there in that old box playing all the time. And you, it's just like it's, it reminds me of Rocky, you know what I mean? That's the old Rocky gym, or you go to the flashy one, you know. Apollo Creed, flashy gym. Exactly. So, so in order for you to understand that and ask that question, you must get it because a lot of people don't even look at it in those terms, you know. And, Think of it. And, and exactly. So I just I, I applaud you for even – asking the questions about it because I've never been asked about it like that. And we don't really go tell the story to people unless they ask about it. We're not out there bragging. This is why we're good. And this is what we do. And this is why. No. It's like bragging about like living. Exactly. <laughs> this is part of our culture. This is what we eat. This is the creator's game, man. We share this game. We play with a good mind and we want people to enjoy it. And it's probably, if not the best, one of the best games you could ever play. And it's still, to this day, the purest sport. And, and you can ask any kid that plays and leaves their other sport. They have more fun playing lacrosse than any sport they ever do. Yeah, no and doubt. The message to me is just play this game with a good mind. And, and you know, we just lost – I just coached this weekend some of my club teams playing kids. We The coach came up to us, how many kids on the list, coach, are committed? I said, none. Why would I bring all committed – kids to a tournament I'm trying to get them committed at and the coach goes all these kids aren't committed I go no he goes you gotta be kidding me I go no start signing them up (laughs) you know so to me just the style of play the way they were brought up the backyard lacrosse you got it's got to come back it's it's still on the reserve everybody on the every nation six nations all our nations we do that nonstop with our kids the kids always got a stick in their hand you know, they play video games, too. I'm not going to say they don't. Sure. Uh, but, you know, that's that's part of the, the, the culture. But our culture is uh, play lacrosse and play with a good mind and share this game. We lost games on that, and that and the thing. I said, I don't care if you lose. I care if you try hard and if you play hard. I don't care if you drop the ball. I care if you don't pick it up. Yeah. I don't care if you miss a shot. I care if you back it up. I care if you go hustle. That's what I care about. Don't worry about that other stuff. It don't I matter. Believe that, I believe that the – you know, the, the true nature of pickup sports with your friends, like we said, the competitive side of it, the creative side of it, love of the game, the combination of those three things 
are the most powerful thing that anybody can have. And, 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 the, and the great irony is, is that it's right in front of you and nobody realizes that they're, they're traveling the world to try to get good when they could actually do it at home. And I've been doing that. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's something that I've been making a point of. And I'm kind of, I feel like I'm on a, you know, on, on a soapbox telling everybody about it because, but it's the best kept secret going and uh, people don't realize, you know, what it can do. But hey, Red, thank you so much for your time. Good luck in the World Games. Pleasure. And, um, and uh, we will, uh, we'll get you back on the Philosophy podcast someday, I hope. Love being here, man. All right, brother. Take care. Thank you. See ya. Thank <laughs> you, see you, man. The Philosophy Podcast is brought to you by JM3 Sports. Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 Video Assessment Tool.